it is time to tune up the band and prepare to be shocked for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Reardon and Dan as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello there, chaps. It is the Shockmaster. Did you get it? <laughs> Are you proud he of yourself? He's going to shock the world. <laughs> are you proud of yourself look there was only one opportunity i had to do this and it was going to have to be this episode Um, now that is fair unless we do unless we do a profile on uh fred ottman i don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon i mean i don't i can't guarantee (laughs) nudge nudge wink wink now and now everyone who listens to us is gonna want a fred ottman episode (laughs) It's the end of it, I'm like the thing that never happens. <laughs> exactly. How have you been, gents? How's your week been? Everything is moving at 100 miles per hour and I can't stop or I'll explode. Okay, thank you for explaining the plot of speed to me. Um, You're welcome. Anyway, uh, it's been a week uh, yeah. for many, many reasons, uh, not least myself, being, trying to keep up with the news in wrestling. Um <laughs> And just generally, anyway, in life, <laughs> mood. I mean, I think it's a, that's a soft mood on that one, is it? Mm. I mean, like, I mean, as I'm sure many people who are listening to this uh, throughout this time will will have experienced, and as Sam will definitely have experienced, I had the joy, you know, the you know, the joy of like the job center calls and mm. you know, typing up job applications and stuff and all that. So a joyous occasion every single yeah, time you do it. Great. <laughs> so much fun so much fun oh god anyway we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at soundcloud spotify google podcasts apple podcasts and always pending other platforms and every wednesday as well on project dits by the way i don't know if i've already said it before but i'll say it again congratulations to the dits family congratulations Alrighty, so before we get on, before we get on to our one-year anniversary special, all about World Championship Wrestling, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Hang on, it's the one-year anniversary, one second. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, down! Wrestling news. The one year special! <laughs> Can I no. edit that to have like little like fancy like you know 80s style bars going across the screen? It's oh, like, amazing. Uh, it, it looks so good. <laughs> you did such a good job. Thank you. Um, so let's get into it. Let's start with Monday Night Raw. Uh, the fallout from WrestleMania Backlash. Uh, hmm. Let's just say WrestleMania Backlash was a. It was a pay per view that happened. Yes. yes, I much prefer. If is it is it telling that I much preferred New Legacy's WrestleMania Backlash to the actual WrestleMania Backlash? Well, I think one thing that we do need to one thing that needs to be addressed of it is that I mean, obviously, I caught it that I caught it the next morning. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of good in the show. Oh, absolutely. There absolutely was a lot of good in the show. I will say, probably Braun Strowman's best match. <laughs> yeah, I'd go as far as to say that. Um, 
or certainly his best multi-man match, which he's been in quite a lot of, I've, I've realized. <laughs> um, so that was pretty great. Obviously, Roman and Cesaro was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Bianca was amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but going into Raw, we had the fallout from that, uh, starting off with uh, AJ uh, singles match, I believe, against Elias uh, with Omos and Jackson Riker ringside. AJ getting the win by DQ. Mm. Uh, Angel Garza beating Drew Gulak in a, basically a nothing match. Mm. Which is a, you know, we there's nothing more that we need to say about it, really. It's true. Mm. Um, we had Kofi Kingston being uh, Randy Orton and Bobby Lashley in the same night, so super happy with that. Yeah. Love to see that. Surprised as all heck about that, but I am very Absolutely. happy to see it. Uh, what looked to be the start of a small series between Ricochet and Sheamus, which started at WrestleMania Backlash uh, when he answered the open challenge. Uh, mm. I see Ricochet back in the back in the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. I keep telling you, right? Lucha Underground is showing its influence now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's finally hit that cycle. <laughs> it's got. It's gonna. It's gonna become like the. Ne- it's gonna become like what, like ROH two thousand and two was, <laughs> <laughs> where it just sl- it just slyly influences like everything that happens now. <laughs> I mean, to be quite honest, I could. I really see Vince McMahon jumping into the serialized storytelling, just record everything angle. I can actually see him doing it. Yeah. How well that works. Oh, that's a coin flip. But I could see him doing that. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Asuka uh, winning over Charlotte. Obviously, again, uh we had the triple threat match for the Raw Women's title, mm. which is yeah, a pretty good match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just finally, uh, Damien Priest getting the win over John Morrison. Oh, yes, because uh, let's remember, The Miz is now dead. He is a zombie. Technically, yes. <laughs> the <laughs> Miz is... Te- technically, in old-school kayfabe, The Miz is dead. <laughs> um... <laughs> What we do know is that uh, the Miz picked up his actually his first, kind of first major career injury. Oh really? Yeah. Um, uh, tearing his ACL. Oh wow! He it took him a while. Dude, oh, pretty much seventeen years. It's not bad. He's not. That's not it's bad. Not bad. At all. Um, it's amazing. He, he, um, yeah, he's he's running Chris Jericho numbers, frankly. Yeah, pretty much. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> Um, he was made of. I thought honestly, thought he was made of rubber. The way he's able to bounce back off from stuff, but no, this yeah. one definitely seems like it's taking him out. I mean, that of course, and now suffering from the crosis uh, and rigor mortis. Yeah, we'll do that too. <laughs> like, you know, there's only so much you can do when you get eaten by zombies. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll say this right now. I, I give the guy props for the one who was pitching the idea. All right, we'll do a cross promotion with uh, Army of the Dead instead of a lumberjack, like a regular lumberjack match. We'll make the lumberjacks and Jills zombies. I mean, see, like the thing is, right? Is I I get why they were doing it for promotion, but also literally nothing 
in any of the builders pointed to this happening. <laughs> exactly. See, what which they is, needed to which do, is the, which is the problem. <laughs> what they needed to do is that they need someone needs to steal the Undertaker's urn. And do it that way, and it summons zombies. And surely this would have been a perfect thing for Halloween Havoc. That's what I mean. Like, why? Yeah, I know. Do that it at Halloween sense. Havoc. That... But again, that makes that... sense. Yes, that's the problem. <laughs> Anyhow. So, so, moving on from that, though, I feel like we do need to address the big story in wwe and we'll just address it before we get to nxt because they uh, they both happen on the same day yeah or near near enough on near enough on the same Mm. day so we have our next full slate of i'm gonna say releases but i will say for, for one of them the situation is a little bit different yeah um so we have alexander wolf i was as we know the contract was up for renewal but it wasn't renewed. Which I'm upset about, because everyone and knows he, Alexander Wolf's great. And he isn't due to appear on NXT in the time that his contract is still active. <sighs> so, uh, as you said, he'll become a free agent on June 16th. Uh, and will still be, I believe, still have a 30-day no-compete clause. Uh, well, at least it's not 90-day. But um, I mean, obviously, Alexander Wolf. Uh, I mean, I, I would say, well, obviously, well known in the European scene. Yeah, one of the the stalwart talents of the German scene. Um, yeah. Uh, this one just sucks, mostly because it's like when you know how bloody good he is, and he is good. He's an absolute asset to your company, and honestly, I thought he would have been great you know being back in the role he that um got him all the success was as the leader of imperium i mean like the mouthpiece i should say of imperium yeah uh the ringmaster yeah, there you say and it, and it is surprising to see yeah obviously this might have been a mutual decision mm-hmm. um but again i i think it's really interesting to see and i will say you know looking towards nxt i'm just saying it opens up a position <clears throat> yes for a certain someone yeah mm-hmm. i mean come on i'm not gonna say who it is we all know who that will be but come on come on <laughs> um to go into some of the other releases the other one which uh, has a little bit of different context around it is jessamine duke Mm-hmm. Um, so ever since she was introduced as one of the four horse, one of the four horsewomen of MMA into WWE, along with Shayna Baszler, Marina Shafir, and I can't remember who the fourth one was. Her <laughs> name is escaping me. <laughs> I, I heard. I, I thought it was Kay Quick because I heard of something about get rowdy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Ronda. <laughs> I don't know why my mind blanked on that. I honestly but... thought you were joking around. <laughs> but see, that's how forgettable Ronda Rousey... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, my... Oh, my brain's fried. So as far as we understand, or as, as far as I understand, it's that she's, her, she's basically no longer going to be contracted as a wrestler. Mm. And she's just going to be doing up, up, down, down. 
which is uh-huh. which is okay. I mean, she's she's been you know. I mean, if anyone's seen, um, she's done incredibly good in streaming. She uh, like the little crew that they have with Dakota Kai, with uh, Mansoor and Shane Fawn and Dio Madden. It's a, they're they're enjoyable. They're really enjoyable streamers to watch. So it's glad to see that she'll still be in. Up, up, down, down. It just sucks because there was... I mean, I think no one was ever going to expect a four horsewomen versus four horsewomen. That's just dream booking 101. But it's it's a shame to see it because there is a lot of talent there with Jessamine Duke. Yeah. Same with Marina Shafir as well. Uh, actually, all of the horsewomen of MMA actually were really yeah. talented. So it's a shame to see. Yeah. Um. So in terms of the other ones which are just pretty much flat out releases with no addition no additional context uh brandy lauren who was due to debut well she did debut as skylar story mm-hmm. but she only had one match uh vanessa born um been since 2016 only really well was due to be made main roster but it just never seemed to quite happen mm. uh and uh, Kavita Devi, who I thought was interesting because they were going to try and have her as part of the superstar spectacle. Yes. But she was injured at the time of it, so they couldn't. Mm. Um, and given the investment they're putting into that particular territory and audience, I thought that they would probably use her. Yeah. I was as a pretty natural that. platform for that. Um, I don't know if there's maybe further context around that, but you know, I thought I would I would figure if you're making a big push to have Indian and Indian heritage talents come through to start selling into that market, someone like her, where she was the first Indian woman to wrestle in WWE at the May Young Classic, mm. seems like a natural fit. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. You'd think, but um, well, well, WWE corporate moves in mysterious ways, as we all know. <laughs> Extremely um, mysterious ways. Final one in uh, this block is uh, Jordan Clemens, a uh, well-known uh, independent scene referee. Yeah. Uh, and he's already gotten a booking back with AIW. Great to see and great to hear. And um, so they they did a whole bunch of stuff saying he's come back home and <laughs> all of that. Now we get to the final two, and these two kind of go together with each other if you know the story. Yeah, which is Ezra Judge mm-hmm. and Drake Words. Now there's a lot to be said about Drake Words. I don't think um, I don't think we have a podcast long enough to go over Drake Words and. I'll say no, we this. Don't, we, we don't have enough time in this segment to yeah. give a full in-depth dive on everything. Yeah. yeah. What I will say is this. As a guy who watched CZW and saw him perform as Drake Younger to then go into NXT as a referee, it's, I, it's disappointing to see his recent actions. Very disappointing to yep. see. Uh, as other people have said, and pretty much the stance I'll take on it, which is I've seen him go from a man who, who looked like he was getting his life onto track to then being on track to being the feature of a Dark Side of the Ring episode. Oof. You know what? Um, that, yeah, that's... Yeah, I can see so, that. 
there's a whole bunch of stuff which most likely influenced him being released or fired, depending on whose reports you read. Yeah. As far as I understand it, uh, it, part of it came down to the reason that Ezra Judge was released, in which he felt multiple times, and apparently other talent had been made to feel incredibly uncomfortable and unsafe working with Drake Wirtz. Yeah. To which a point came that Ezra Judge almost got physical with him. Yeah. Uh, and so it's at least been interpreted that Ezra Judge was released to avoid action from Drake Wirtz's side. It's... Is at least the, the prevailing idea. Yeah. That alone just makes it just everything this whole thing really really goddamn sucky i think i can't i don't can't think of any other words except it's just it's horrible mm. it, it is i haven't got anything really to say it's just bad yeah 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 um and then obviously uh as came in last night uh velveteen dream has also been released from the WWE. Uh, and again, no one knows the exact terms mm. around why. But what I can say is that there's a record of multiple stories of people being unhappy working with him backstage. Mm. It, um, it's been said that he was incredibly that... unprofessional. <laughs> Yeah, and there's another one which was that apparently he was posited to be given a role as a trainer, which uh, which majorly upset both NXT talent <clears throat> and upper management. Oofed. So I think maybe things that we had been told by you know NXT and talent management may not have lined up with what the details actually were yeah but obviously that's a lot of speculation on my part absolutely um yeah all i'll say is this took them long enough pretty much <laughs> uh, but moving on now to nxt uh <laughs> we had a great show uh for tony storm debuting a new finisher Oh, what a throwback. I was like, is that Dean Allmark I'm seeing right there? Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Dean Allmark, tra Dean Allmark trained her. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow. I never thought I'd see a Dean Allmark move on NXT television. It was really cool to see. It was great. I absolutely loved it. And a, a, great, sh a great show for the two of them, um, Tony Storm and Zoe Stark. Mm. I mean, they're both they're both amazing uh talents for nxt yeah my I, it's a proof to me that gosh those two I, those two work so well together but it's also proof that those two can work really put on a match with anyone and make it really good like oh, really they really good. can and i mean at least in my mind i hope it goes to show for four people watching nxt the value in you know, looking beyond the company to see who might be next. Absolutely. 
because uh, again, like a lot of people kind of decried her as being being indie and coming in and being given an important position. I'm like, no, she's really talented. Yeah, that's the thing. So talented. Um, nice little moments, uh, kind of like small promo segments, vignettes, if you will, uh, for the way. <laughs> and then the realization that uh, Indy Hartwell still loves Dexter Loomis. <laughs> it's the greatest long-term story booking of WWE this year, isn't it? It honestly kind of might be. <laughs> um, we had the continuation of the weird million-dollar man Cameron Grimes feud. I, 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 you say weird. It is weird, but God, it's charming as all heck. And it's always great to see Ted oh, DiBiase on I television. Lo- I love it because yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> it's it's great because it's just like Ted DiBiase just like comes out to the ring, laughs, and then that's enough to just annoy Cameron Grimes. God, it's the Ron Simmons effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, and I will say as part of this... Uh, Love the win for Jake Atlas. Please take this guy up and up and up and up and up the ranks because he's so good. Yeah, rivalry with Kushida. I'd see that. Please, I'd I'd pay I'd pay the the network or the Peacock fee to see uh see takeovers yeah. with Atlas and Kushida. Uh, we then obviously had the segment with Alec uh the tag match between Imperium and. Maverick and Dane mm. uh, and then at the end we have the moment of Alexander Wolf being beaten up by Bartel and Eichner uh, yeah. and then basically setting out uh, Alexander Wolf is no longer with Imperium mm. Mm. again it's a, it's it, it's an upsetting thing to see because when that happened yeah I was like yeah this is this they're going to release him aren't they and sure enough <laughs> I bet. I bet even the. I bet those guys were like, I don't really want to do this. I really don't want to do it. But he's out, and I guess that's what we got to do. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh. I bet you that. I bet you, I'm hoping the silver lining to all this is that certain someone we all want to see hit in Imperium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had Saray getting a win over Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. Um. We then had Hit Row versus uh, it was Davari and someone like Tony Nice. Tony Nice. I love um, Hit Row. Hit Row is fantastic. I, I really like Hit Row. <laughs> like so. I mean, much. It, it genuinely just feels like someone just took like the Def Jam games and then was just like, okay, but like in res- in real wrestling now. Yes, and we're not talking about that one promotion that tried to do that. Uh, yeah, we're not talking name. about that. <laughs> um, oh, these all of them. I've. It's rare to see a faction where every single member has charisma up the gills, but the hit row do, and then some. Um, and then we had the tag match between uh, Thatcher and Champa versus Legado del Fantasma. Legado del Fantasma. Legado del Fantasma get the win. I could mm. learn to speak properly. Um, <laughs> but no, there were tons of great moments in this. Yeah. Um, 
surprisingly complemented each other really well. Yeah, that was the one thing that I was like, oh, oh, this match is... Oh, I mean, to take a quote from Joseph Montecilio, this match fucks. <laughs> Correct. Damn. You must really like this damn match. No, it's, it it's incredible how they both, how well both of them work, both teams work together on this one. And look, right, now we've got here and we've said that they, like, I... Am I am I gonna be big brain and am I gonna have predicted WWE's booking for Timothy Thatcher? <laughs> Will I have big brain this? You might have. Possibly. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. We will see. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll see we'll, we'll come come next takeover, we'll see, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Um and then just finally, we now have the new North American title holder, Bronson Reed, the thick boy himself. <laughs> Fantastic. I am so here for this. I will say it's taken about three months. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but we got there. <laughs> we, slowly. And dear God, ever so surely we got there. But no, um absolute amazing main event it's definitely up there with the top tier nxt main events for sure um i mean gargano gargano back on form uh as i mean he was never off form it's just he needed something i think to really sink his teeth into and this match i think really showed that yes once you give him something gargano will take it and run with it uh this match Yeah, yeah absolutely oh gosh that that ending spot with the big dive off yeah, that 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 was an amazing spot. <laughs> so I good. think my favorite, my favorite one was just Bronson Reed like up the cage, just fighting off two people at once. Yeah, <laughs> it was so good. Uh, but no, super happy for Bronson Reed to be any champion. I think he'll be great for it. Yeah. Um, and really, it's just a question. Again, it's a question of where do people fit into this any title picture because it is stacked crumbs it is and then some um, and so one of the things that I was going to say coming off the back of this just before we go over to over to NXT UK um, 205 Live has been slapping differently yeah and let me just say right when they bring in um, Ikemenjiro um, Asher Hale, Ari Sterling mm-hmm. into NXT's fold. Like the the cruiserweight division is gonna ha- is gonna be a genuine contender. I'd agree with you on that one. I mean, I mean, with those guys coming in and with Kushida as champion, I dare say it, there has the definitely has the potential to be just as good as SmackDown's cruiserweight division back in the day. I'm saying, right, Kushida versus Ikeminjiro. <laughs> yes, injects it to slap. my veins. That's going to slap hard. Um, and I'm, again, like, I'm really happy people are seeing, like, um, Asher Hale, who was previously in Evolve, we mentioned this before, mm-hmm. uh, get a platform. Because, yeah. again, great talent. Uh, formerly uh, Ari Sterling, formerly Alex Zane on the independent circuit, again, great talent yeah so there's a lot to be excited for um i won't talk too much about nxt uk just because uh, quite a lot of it is around people i don't really like <laughs> um, yeah so, so what i will say is 
personally, I think uh, taking the Heritage Cup off Akin was not the right decision. No, at this point, no. And I will say that the person who won it doesn't need it. I agree with that because he is a former UK champion. So, like... He's already legitimised. He's Mm. already legitimised. Um... And I will say the one, really for me, the one to watch out for in this one is Amal. Um, mm. She was a French talent signed up by NXT UK. Um, and she, I really do hope that they do take the onus on putting her in an important position. Um, I think she'd have great matches with someone like Ginny. Um, and of course, looking at the NXT UK women's title picture... Um, you've got a you've got a pretty strong field. Oh yeah, oh definitely. Yeah, you've got a strong field. I feel like the recurring problem though is that they never really make it seem like anyone can be champion. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one where it's like they have lots of content. They have quite a few contenders, but it's like the contenders never seem like they can actually win. <laughs> I, be, I dare I say I feel that like that's a remnant of progress's booking of the women's division. Probably. Because uh, it, um, it feels it if you feels want, very similar. If you want, if you want my belief, I mean, I think for me, if I if I am them, I'd just set up for Millie McKenzie. Same. Um, that's pretty much like I'd just be like, okay, well, what can we do to get her in the title picture organically? Get her in, have a win it. Yeah, because I don't that's think I don't think a, I don't think. I don't think they realise just how much of a special once-in-a-lifetime talent they have with Millie McKenzie. <laughs> I... If they aren't showing it, I hope they do know. Yeah, I really hope they do as well. <laughs> um, moving over to SmackDown, we had the multi-women tag match, and we now have it announced for the next edition of Raw. There'll be another uh, women's tag title match. <laughs> Between Natalia and Tamina and Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. <laughs> it's the repeat again. Not much uh, else to say. Pretty much. It's the same match we've seen before, but this time it had Bailey and Bianca in it. Mm. Yay. Mm. But let's get into the hot stuff, right? <laughs> first off. First off. Shinsuke uh, being joined to the ring by the former Eric Bugenhagen uh, of Evolve uh, at Notoriety, uh, playing the guitar for him coming out. Wasn't Love Eric, that. Wasn't Eric Bugenhagen the former Joe of Old Spice? Yes. Yes, I thought so. <laughs> but Rick um, Boogs, isn't he now known as? He's now Rick Boogs. Rick Boogs. And Shreds. <laughs> he plays the guitar. Yep. He actually plays Shinsuke's uh, theme quite well. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the match, he kind of botched a bit, but you know it happens. It happens. You know, it, um, it's live. You're a little bit nervous. I can understand. Shinsuke, King of the Ring. Let's get it. Let's go. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, there was the IC title match, which was then marked by Alistair Black returning. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the creepy storyteller <laughs> finally yeah. making his day <laughs> debut. Did he ever? Re- I wonder if he's ever if he's seen the intro to Resident Evil Village because I feel like it's gimmick infringement there. 
Oh, I was gonna say, do you reckon he, they, someone at uh, WWE, WWE Creative, just played Far Cry Five? That as well, yeah. <laughs> oh God, he does look like Jacob C, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh God, like, he they, does. I was, just, I was just like, do they just like play that? And they're like, that looks pretty fucking great. That looks similar. <laughs> oh no, he's gonna be a cult leader now, isn't he? Hey, look, right. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> now all they need is just to sign Conor McGregor and he could be one of his disciples. Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> Good Lord, no, please. <laughs> Should we move swiftly along before I have that cursed image in everyone's head? Uh, yeah. We, will, yeah we, will, we will quickly move along over to AEW now quickly. Oh. Uh, um, what I will say is um, shout out Eddie Kingston for stealing the Young Bucks trainers. <laughs> I... I just... God. It's so aggressively New York. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so yonkers. It's so yonkers. I love it. No, um, God, he, again, he is, he, he, ever since he showed up last year, he has been on nothing but top form the entire, he, the entire time. He's, Absolutely. He's still up there as he, I mean, as of, as, as of right now in terms of, top 10s of 2020 and top wrestlers yeah he's still in the top three at the moment for me no no i i, I can totally believe that um i mean one key part to add on top of this as well is that we now have AEW rampage which will be debuting on tnt uh, and AEW dynamite will be moving over to tbs as far as i understand this is an upgrade of uh, to a degree yeah um from what i've heard it's i mean i'm not I'm not too familiar, funnily enough, I'm not too familiar with the cable um, landscape of American television. But I have heard, because of course TBS is the more established one, that was the one that Turner kind of started with. And then, and then of course his empire fell into place with that. Um, that's It's a quite a big deal in terms of lineage and history to have them on TBS. But not like a big seismic change from what i've heard no, Am I right someone that? said someone someone said to me it's it, like tbs gets like maybe one million more viewers a year than tnt mm. but like the big thing for this is that they won't have to compete against the nba and nhl only just with the atlanta hawks <laughs> uh, if they existed yeah. oh, wow right. that was well wow. that was a that was a deep cut <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed, honestly. <laughs> well, thank you, Ian. My research has covered Hardy this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just going over some of the, some of the other matches in there, uh, Christian Cage versus Matt Sydal, which I was super happy to see. Um, Hikaru Shida uh, versus Britt Baker, mm. which is coming up, which I'm super excited for. Yeah. Uh, and then Red Velvet versus Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's Title. Great match. That was yeah, that um, was so good. Serena Deeb is uh like a real old style ring commander. Yeah, I'll say she at the moment is carrying the NWA on her shoulders at the moment. Oh, she is. <laughs> She really single-handedly. Let me just say about the NWA. Oh yeah, don't watch it. It is not worth your time. I'm (laughs) so it's it 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 angers me to a point of how far or how fast and swift this fall from grace for the NWA has been. Thing is, like in 2019, the NWA was building up huge. 
Exactly. And now it's just painful. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff surrounding Nick Aldis as well. Um, in amongst all this. Mm. Um, I mean, the one for me is that they had the choice of Matt Cross and Tyrus, and they picked Tyrus. Which blows my goddamn mind. Okay. Um, But no. uh, So as we mentioned last week, we're going to try and get to it, but let me just say this, right? Anthony Agogo is far exceeding my expectations. Yes. Two, I know they're doing this whole, like, oh babyface heel booking thing right but they just gave him a promo where they were like okay basically what we want you to do is just spit facts and you have literally there's like nothing to counter you (laughs) (laughs) they were like literally just like go out there spit some facts and then that will make people not like you meanwhile in the uk everyone loves him anyway yes and you thought he was just a spokesperson for Subway. No, he's more than that. <laughs> and basically, the situation is now is that we're getting this, like, pseudo-Brett run. Yes! Where everywhere but the US, Ogogo is the face. <laughs> but in America, he's the heel. And I'll, and I'll take that, because that's the way it should be. And I love it. It's amazing. It's <laughs> so good. No, I honest to goodness, I'm so happy for Anthony Agogo that he's he is doing tremendously well and has picked up to it like a fish in water. Um, of course, because if everyone knows, the reason why he had to retire from boxing is really heartbreaking. But no, the fact the fact that he's been able to find his niche in professional wrestling so freaking awesome to see. Could not be any more happy for him and i really do hope he has success a tnt title run in the near future or in the distant future i can see it yeah no definitely Mm. um following on from that just quickly go over to new japan uh just a quick match shout out uh new japan strong fred russell versus hikileo um yeah a really surprisingly good match (laughs) it was Um, great uh, and then just lastly, as we go through the other bits, uh, Moose has denied reports about him re-signing with Impact, so we don't know what the situation around that exactly is. Yeah, it's been really up in the air, because reports say he hasn't, reports say he did, and then he's come out and said that he hasn't um, re-signed, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um... <laughs> Violent by design win the Impact Tag Titles after using Rhino's Call Your Shot. (laughs) Uh, And then Effie has announced his latest show, which is called Fear the Gay Agenda. Which is absolutely tremendous. And with that, we're done with the news. Alrighty, so recommendation corner again once more is the dark side of the ring episode all on collision in Korea. Really compelling watch. Loved every one of the talking heads that were in this one, especially to Anoki and to Two Cold Scorpio, who is just an absolute legend. I knew, as I said last with last week's episode, I knew of Collision in Korea. I didn't know some more of the finer details, like like Scott Norton's time there was absolutely horrendous, um, and just the amount of people that were also there. The reason as to why they were forced to attend the match and the reasoning behind the reasoning behind it and why Anoki had done it of course as everyone knows Anoki is 
uh, was was you know in Japanese politics at the time and was using it uh, in his party as the sport and peace party where they were using kind of doing sporting and wrestling events as kind of like a, a peace offering to other countries. He had put on a couple of peace festival uh, shows before this, but this was the biggest one. Like, go to Pyongyang, North Korea, extend that olive branch, but we'll do it in front of 130-odd thousand people. Um, no. Absolutely compelling watch. I highly, Again, as with most of Dark Side of the Ring, massively, massively recommended. Um, other than that, also, I would like to say... Uh, massive shout out to uh, for, for, especially for the episodes that we've got coming up a special shout out to uh, the Death of WCW book the Nitro book by Guy Evans which is an ama- amazing read uh, to Wrestling Bios who at the moment is doing a retrospective of the Monday Night Wars for each and every episode and of course to our friends Monday Night Chores who are going through as well the entire Monday Night Wars and finding out who did it better? Reardon, do you have any recommendations for me, buddy? <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> In honour of this being our one-year anniversary, I recommend this podcast. <laughs> Yay! Woo-hoo! Come on, guys. One first. year? That is ridiculous. Shouldn't have happened, but it did. <laughs> I don't know how, but somehow we just, we got to this point. And we'll, as I said, when we're done with this, we will have a an extra special podcast just for the occasion. But yeah, it's crazy. And uh, thank you, chaps. I, I really do appreciate uh, that we're here for a year in and I get to talk about wrestling every week with you. It means a lot. So thank you for that. Alrighty. Thank you. Without further delay, it is time for the history of WCW, part one. Humble beginnings. Now, gentlemen, first question I want to know is, how much do you know about prior history of WCW? This is actually something where I know a a little bit about. Hey, you can correct me this time there. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Normally, I'm the guy that knows jack shit about everything. But I actually read a great little e-book, The Death of WCW. Hey. (laughs) So I actually know a little bit about this, about the tale of all of this madness. (laughs) What about you, Dan? I know a little bit. So, like, I know there was a little bit uh, of, like, the NWA period. Mm. Um, a, a tiny bit about, uh, like, Jim Crockett and that. Yeah. But I really don't know a whole lot kind of pre-1990, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be an exciting one. Um, so, as I say, I want to preface this again by saying my apologies if I skim over big parts and big chunks of storylines and history within WCW. I wanted to make sure this was packed and concise as I could possibly make it whilst uh, whilst we give the... Well, whilst we have the opportunity to go on tangents as well. Because we know, you guys know how much we love tangents on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so... Chapter 1, Jim Crockett Promotions and Georgia Championship Wrestling. Now, 
Jim Crockett Promotions can trace its origins all the way back to 1931, believe it or not. Uh, with Jim Crockett Sr., he was a promoter of live events that included music, theatre, minor league baseball, ice hockey, and most importantly for our story, professional wrestling. Now, they built their home base of pro wrestling within the Carolinas uh, and Virginia, touring those states under, gosh, a whole hodgepodge of names. So, these names included Championship Wrestling, All-Star Wrestling, East Coast Wrestling, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Mid-Atlantic Championship Sports, and Worldwide Wrestling. I'm sure that there was several others of those within those oh, names that they probably went under as well. <laughs> uh, so... With that, Georgia Championship Wrestling was, of course, run, guess where? In Georgia. <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> uh, founded in 1990, uh, sorry, 1944 by Paul Jones as ABC Booking. Jones would then be replaced uh, by owner Jim Barnett, and eventually in 1983 by the famous trio of Jack and Jerry Briscoe and Ole Anderson. 1972 would see the first big change for Georgia Championship Wrestling, going from the ABC-affiliated WQXI-TV to the independent cable channel WTCG, then owned by one Ted Turner. Now, this made... American, um, like, TV and radio codings are, like, painful to me. Oh, (laughs) Yes. It took me quite a while to say WQXI and get it right because that was like, that is a weird bunch of letters to put together for a TV station. Yeah. Where is the Q in, where did the Q in X fit in with Georgia? I'd like to know where that fits in with Georgia. (laughs) Okay, no, fun fact about this uh, move. This made Georgia Championship Wrestling the first NWA affiliate uh, of, sorry, NWA affiliated, I'll get it out eventually, promotion to be broadcast on a nationwide scale. So a little little history, a little quick history on Ted Turner and uh, what would then become WTBS. Ted Turner, the son of a billionaire who went into television and media ventures under sort of unfortunate circumstances. His dad, unfortunately, uh, took his own life and with no one really to kind of inherit it except Ted, he kind of took up the reins pretty much straight after. Uh, going from the uh, from radio broadcasting to television, he had his eyes fully on national expansion. With WTCG, that was his big experiment to try new technology, this brand new technology, I should say, called cable television, being able to put his independent television channel, or say, to be an independent television channel, whilst broadcasting to not only Georgia, but the entire United States. Uh, this would mean, this would uh, see a name change where WTCG would become WTCG Superstation. Uh, th- there's a lot of acronyms. I apologise yeah, if my time is like, not working yeah. on this. This, this, is, this is the thing with like yeah. American broadcasting codes. <laughs> they're all like f- they're all four letters, and they're all just a bunch of letters like smashed together with each other, depending on the state and where it sits. God, you're telling me. All right, 78, 1978 saw Turner strike a deal with MIT to obtain the rights to the WTBS call sign. Basically, he gets the rights to that name. This allowed Turner to strengthen his Superstation branding and use the initials TBS. Now, TCG was known as Turner Communications Group. 
TCG became the Turner Broadcasting System, and WTCG became WTBS Superstation. Or as we all know, of course, TBS. Turner's eyes for content at this time for TBS were reruns of classic shows and cartoons, uh, live broadcasts and the exclusive rights to Atlanta Braves and uh, Atlanta Hawks games, and of course, one of his personal favourites, professional wrestling. Uh, so, with all this, give you a quick history on Ted Turner, let's see what Vince McMahon's doing at this time. So, 1982 saw Vince McMahon purchase his father's Capital Wrestling Corporation, along with every shareholder's stake, and merged it into his own company, Titan Sports. Now, that's a really good, like, a really, like, telling point. He didn't inherit his father's company. He He bought his father's company. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> and, I don't know what it is, but there's something about that, and then also just knowing the fact that even in like nine, <laughs> like in 1980, it was just Titan Sports, and I'm just like, it seems weird to me to know that. Yeah, it it's really weird uh, <laughs> seeing that details. Like, because I thought it was mid 80s, like or mid to late 80s that he made the Titan Sports um, Incorporated name, but no. Pretty much when he bought out yeah. his his father's company, <laughs> that, that was his I company believe, that he made. Yeah, I also believe at this time, if I'm thinking correctly, oh wait, no, I'm actually wrong. Wow, <laughs> I looked it up. I just looked it up. It's uh, I was gonna say that um, TCM Turner Classic Movies came out, but that's actually 1994. Yeah, that would have uh, that would yeah. probably been along with the kind of his nation with Turner's expansion. We'll get into that with more of TNT yeah. and TCM. Yeah. Um, mm. But at the time, I believe all he had was TBS and CNN. Well, uh, but yeah, so um, it's really that's really telling, isn't it? That with Vince, you saw his mindset was pretty much there that he wouldn't inherit; he's going to purchase his father's company. But there oh, was a yeah. caveat to this when he bought the shareholders' stake. Um, if he did not make a profit within a year, he was to um, forfeit his shares back. To every shareholder. A wow. Really weird tangent. There's a really weird caveat to that. But again, mm. I guess that was the I guess that was the only thing he could probably say yes to if, if in order to get everyone's share of that company. Yeah. <laughs> in a weird way though, it seems it knowing that makes it seem like a very Vince demand. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, he like he included that caveat. <laughs> Indeed. All right. The WWF and its mission for national expansion began pretty much straight after the acquisition. He's buying up territories in their TV slots. This allowed McMahon to cross into new parts of the country and gain new eyes, much to the ire of the old school mindset and, of course, to the NWA at the time, which was the rule, pretty much the unwritten rule was you keep out of other people's territories. We can swap talent here and there, but the rule is you don't tread into our territory. <laughs> Did we ever say that wrestling was an inc- is was and still is an incredibly insular business? <laughs> Just <laughs> ever so <my> slightly. <laughs> <laughs> so in response to this, Georgia Championship Wrestling and Ted Turner rebranded their television show on Saturdays to World Championship Wrestling. 
At this time, Georgia Championship Wrestling was steadily gaining viewership in the neutral states of Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and thus were able to keep on like steady footing with Vince's plan. So that when it came to the two big companies, they were still kind of on level with what Vince was doing with the WWF. Now, these both of these companies were now looking for national rather than regional expansion. And this is kind of where the very start, I guess you could say, of the golden age of wrestling was going to kick off. And I guess was starting to lay the seeds of what we now know as the Monday Night Wars. Now, GCW, believe it or not, for a little while were the top dog because, of course, of their lineage, their history, you know, yeah. a very loyal fan base, as well as having all of the backing of the NWA at the time. Yeah. Can I just say how weird as hell it is that wrestling has a good terms of the neutral states? Like, this is a yeah. like, general, like, I kind of forget because it's so far removed from my um from my history with wrestling about the territory the, the territory era mm, yeah. and it's it's such a weird but that's actually something i was thinking about do we consider like the uk as still working off a territory kind of not really it's a weird kind of thing mostly because the thing mm. i mean i guess the thing the close because the uk had joint promotions mm. Mm. which was basically a, a whole group of people working together. I mean, it was described as like being in a cartel, basically. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a whole group of people working together across the country to promote wrestling to be shown on TV. Yeah, I believe All Star Promotions, wasn't it? At that yeah. time, would have been uh, would have been the 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 people behind that. And I, but, which I believe they're still going to this very day, believe it or they not. They might be. They might be. Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that the UK really had a territory system. I guess you could say in the modern day, it has a very, I guess, on-face value territory system with England, Scot and Scotland kind of being the two territories, if you get, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, yeah. That, but even yeah, then, can... that's loose as all heck. Like yeah. the thing is, is that half the half the time in British wrestling, and other people wrestlers will notice that like, like people just go between companies and just do shows at different places just because they want to. Yeah, and that's fine. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a strange one, but it's again it's it it, it, it again it, I guess it's that it's a product of America and how oh, big yeah. and expansive that country and its television um, viewership is okay so uh so gc as i said gcw also georgia championship wrestling were the top dog for a little while and whilst vince was doing all of this kind of well you shouldn't be going into other people's territories and running shows there um he did this much to the anger of the nwa so spurred on by that vince said uh you know what Screw you, I'm leave, I'm severing ties with the NWA. He did this during an, an NWA board of directors meeting. Um, and and when, he, uh, when he, you know, made, you know, the plans of going into other territories, there was a big, big shouting contest. And the president of the time, 
uh, I believe it was Jim Crockett Jr., was trying to get to calm everyone down, saying that, you know, everyone was saying that Vince can't do this, he's treading on our territories, he's taking our money away. Vince calmly got up, left the building, and then just sent a, uh, sent a letter saying, oh yeah, by the way, I'm not in the NWA anymore. <laughs> The Jesus. balls on the bed to just be like, to start an argument, leave that argument without talking, and then to tell, and then send a letter saying, I'm breaking up with you. He is the true ultimate wrestling fuckboy. <laughs> also, this also, there is another very famous or infamous story uh, of an altercation uh, between Ole Anderson and Vince and Linda McMahon. When Vince was, we'll get into it, into uh, his uh, eventual lead into the Georgia Territory. But whilst Vince was doing all of this and buying up the territories, Ole Anderson uh, and Vince and Linda were in, I think it was a convention where they both met up and were face to face. Vince says a hello to Ole, to which Ole responds with, fuck you, Vince, and fuck you, Linda. I thought we might say Vinda. Vinda. With I, all our powers combined, nah. <laughs> I mean, I, I look. That's that. If that isn't the most Ole Anderson thing possible, <laughs> to which Vince, quite offended, uh, uh, standing up, I guess for the uh, for the uh, for his wife, I think uh, said something along the lines of, um, I think it might you might choke on those words, <laughs> something in the vein of that. Anyway. Something tells me Ole Anderson did not care. Oh, no. Of course he didn't. <laughs> it's Ole Anderson. Of course it was. Okay, so we've, in response to Vince severing ties with the uh, with the NWA, Jim Crockett Jr. would go on to create Starcade on closed-circuit television. This would not only propel the NWA back on top, but made a household name of one Ric Flair. Vince, then would respond by pushing arguably one of the most well-known wrestlers of all time. One Hulk Hogan riding off of the success of his role as Thunderlips in Rocky III. <laughs> Believe it or not, again, another fun fact, Hulk Hogan wasn't even with the WWF when he was in Rocky III. He was actually with the AWA. I, I, still, yeah. I still refuse to believe that, even though I know it's true. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and it's because of that film that Vince pushed the hell out of him. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> okay, all of this leads to Black Saturday. The 9th of April, 1984. Jack and Jerry Briscoe feeling quite unhappy with how GCW is getting on uh, the decisions of Ole Anderson and Jim Barnett leaving uh, the company after that to then kind of work in cahoots, believe it or not, with Vince McMahon at the time for his plans of national expansion with the WWF. Jack and Jerry sold their shares of Georgia Championship Wrestling, including the TBS time slot to Vince McMahon. Now, the story of this is that Vince McMahon approached Ted Turner first to ask him to buy out the TBS time slot away from Georgia Championship Wrestling to use it as WWF programming. When Ted said no, uh, Vince thought, you know what, I'll go out of my way to go through the back door to make sure I get that time slot. And so 
he was looking for a way to buy a controlling stake of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Funnily enough, as fate would allow it, Jack, Jack and Jerry were really upset with how it was going, had a call with Vince. It was a kind of a courtesy call, but quickly thereon, Vince said, all right, I'm getting down to business. Can I have Georgia Championship Wrestling, please? <laughs> Turns out, yeah, that Jack and Jerry were pretty happy with that. And it was like, yep, go on. Oh, by the way, can our I... shares also include the TV slot as well. <laughs> can I have your Can I have your company as a treat? <laughs> Just there, like, hi, yes, give company, please, thank you. <laughs> of course. To be in that position, I'm sorry, to be in that kind of position where you can just do that will never cease to terrify me, quite frankly. And this all before Vince has really solidified his place as an absolute power force in professional wrestling. That's right. So the man already had delusions of grandeur way before he had... Yeah. yeah i think that's something to keep in mind um for our um for our listeners who don't know like the ins and outs of, of professional wrestling and only heard vince mcmahon via us talking about him this is at the time where vince mcmahon is not vince mcmahon but he's very slowly becoming that guy yeah oh absolutely um I mean, point of that is, when he tried to buy Ole Anderson's share, of course, Ole said, no, you can go mm. away. <laughs> I'm keeping my share. As a matter of fact, he was trying to have the the buyout of, of Jack and Jerry's shares um, re, reneged in court because it's he, he was trying to say that it was unfair. He never approached uh, the rest of the shareholders about this decision. Uh, but no, they couldn't confirm whether he did or not, and the oh, deal went on. through. come on, underhand corporate dealings. Come on, this is America. They should be used to this by now. Absolutely. So, as we all know, and as it's been known throughout history, Southern wrestling fans are known to be fans of less gimmicky tropes in the industry and rather the sporting spectacle of professional wrestling. It's more of a technical sporting Southern wrestling rather than the gimmicky over-the-top comic book style of what Vince was putting on in New York. We all know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, on the 14th of July, 1984, the deal had been done. World Championship Wrestling started with introducing Vince McMahon on screen, and he proudly proclaimed that he was going to be showing clips of his far superior World Wrestling Federation product. Can you guess the amount of anger from viewers when this was broadcast. It's the funny thing for me looking at this is I'm like, man, why do they call it Black Saturday? It's just the TV slot changed and something different <laughs> was showing. But then I'm like, well, clearly they must, there's a, a deep resentment to what was being produced or what was being expected. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, yeah. So it's fair to say most people, viewers of TBS were angry. Complaints were sent in their thousands to TBS, demanding that the wrestling return. Another fact was Vince was promised to show original studio wrestling content when he bought the time slot for, and was, you know, in discussions with Turner as to what he wants on World Championship Wrestling. Vince, in all of his infinite wisdom, decides to say, yeah, fuck that, and show his own pre-recorded content from WWF tapings. Again... You, you can't say there isn't a pattern here. <laughs> really? 
Of course, this really infuriated Ted Turner and was actually quite a big factor into why he refused to kind of show WWF content on his product. At this time, Ole Anderson, uh, who never sold his share uh, to Vince, teamed up with the other shareholders who didn't um, budge to form Championship Wrestling from Georgia. The uh, The similarly named, may I add, but still technically different or legally different may i add yeah i was gonna say that's a legally different entity but so rather than he could now turner could not get rid of the wcw show it was a ratings draw vince had the rights to georgia championship wrestling and he could do whatever he wanted with it now that he had the tv slot with tbs but what turner could do seeing as he you know owns this whole empire decides oh you know what if i can't get rid of it I'll just drown him out with even more wrestling. So he quickly secures the rights to championship wrestling from Georgia and as well as Bill Watts's Mid-South Wrestling as a way of shutting Vince out. Of course, this pisses Vince off because he wants to be the only wrestling game on TBS. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, With this, the ratings, like, Dives like they nose dived as soon as Black Saturday happened, and they continued to dive down. And when, of course, Turner bought the rights to um to the Championship Wrestling from Georgia and Mid South Wrestling, those of course went straight up. When World Championship Wrestling went straight down, <laughs> so am oh, I not surprised? <laughs> so believe it or not, Vince had this time slot for quite a long time when you hear the story you'd think it was that one episode and then he quickly like scarpered from tbs but no he held this on from july 1984 to march 1985 uh with uh, vince selling the wcw uh, uh program and the tbs time slot back to turner via jim crockett promotions now the reason vince did this was because he really didn't want to get rid of the time slot But as WrestleMania was coming up and was being a huge financial gamble, he needed to find money somewhere. And seeing as the product was not doing well in Georgia and people wanted wrestling more than uh, rather than his uh, gimmicky comic book sensibilities of wrestling, he sold it to Jim Crockett for one million dollars to which he said when he signed it. uh, Yeah, you're going to regret this. I mean, again, I feel like there's a thread going through all of this. (laughs) So, this really didn't affect Vince in the long run, of course, is because the WWF, Hogan, and WrestleMania, they were riding a massive wave of momentum at the time. Uh, So it really didn't do much to affect their, you know, their forward momentum. (laughs) And because, of course, you know, 85 was like the year for the WWF and from then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger for them but we all know that of course so this new incarnation of what would be the new WCW under Jim Crockett Promotions and Championship Wrestling from Georgia became the top show on TBS because of course it did yeah (laughs) as soon as Vince goes Boom, it goes straight back. In the words of Excalibur, we're giving the people what they want. (laughs) Exactly. 
So if both WWF and JCP would promote pay-per-view events to kind of try and one-up each other at this time, to varying degrees of success, and that would go all the way to 1989. Both of them high, riding a high wave of momentum, both had their massive superstars at the time. Of course, we had Hogan, they had Flair, um, and again, it seemed like that there were two massive uh, entities in in town, but George. I mean, at this time, JCP and Georgia Championship Wrestling were still under the NWA umbrella. I'll get back to the NWA in a moment. Okay, next chapter: Turner's acquisition of Jim Crockett Promotions and his renaming of the company. Turner knew that World Championship Wrestling was an absolute ratings draw for him. Combine that with the inexpensive cost of producing the studio shows, which was kind of the reason why you had so many territories and so many television uh, stations running wrestling. It was just cheap to produce. Yeah. And being that this was one of the biggest, biggest shows on Turner's network, he outright purchases Jim Crockett Promotions on the 11th of October 1988 and incorporated it as the Universal Wrestling Corporation. The deal was completed on the 2nd of November and the promotion was renamed to World Championship Wrestling or WCW because guess what? Ted Turner never forgets what you've done, Vince. Up. <laughs> never forget. This is a war of just pure spite. Like, I can't lie. Sometimes the, the beef between billionaires just hits different. <laughs> really? It's, it's the... You know, it's funny seeing these guys. Because it's like, Ted Turner... They have had... genuinely all the money in the world and are like some of the most important people in their sectors and then they're literally just going around like oh i can't believe this other guy who's important in this other sector that's vaguely related to me is pissing me off <laughs> yes let's destroy him yeah. i i feel like like because ted turner has a reputation i emphasize reputation because you know billionaires be billionaireing, but yeah. <laughs> he has a reputation of being quite a weird Willy Wonka kind of guy when it comes to his money. Yes. He does the he he generally if you actually look at his history of what he's done and all the like the company he's made and all that kind of stuff, he has that energy of of if someone handed me a billion dollars and it's like, <laughs> what do you want to do? And he's like, anything the fuck I want, frankly. <laughs> It's just the thing of it. It's just like, man, I really like wrestling. Oh, I'm a TV station now. <laughs> Guess I'll buy a wrestling company. Yep. <laughs> I mean, look. Oh, at I the... can show wrestling as well on my network. <laughs> it's just think about like the companies he, he that are under his umbrella, from like uh, CNN to to TNT to the Cartoon Network. It's just like that is that screams a man who just wants to throw money at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Crazy. All right. With all that done, the previous history of what we know and what cut, uh, what not, what became known, I should say, is WCW. Shall we get into the beginnings of World Championship Wrestling? Because <laughs> it is an intriguing couple of years that they started out. <laughs> now, 
90 all right yeah this chapter 1989 wcw's rocky start and jim heard <laughs> 1989 was quite the turnaround of fortunes for WCW with Ric Flair positioned as world champion and he was actually head booker at this time. Uh, okay, yeah. Flair was the mind behind uh, the big rivalries between him and Ricky Steamboat. They had some tremendous matches at this time for the world title. They did. They uh, did. And with Terry Funk as well. Um, yep. That's a completely different thing, but still, every time I hear Terry Funk's name, I have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, what have I done to your dad? No, (laughs) of course, the former rivalry with Steamboat, uh, pay per views were a massive success when these guys were top billing in the main event, fighting for the world championship. Flair was also. Uh, the mastermind, and saw the arrival and booking of young talents such as uh, Brian Pillman, uh, the Great Muta, Scott Steiner, the Road Warriors, and arguably his greatest rival, Sting. Now we'll get back to Hell this. Yeah. We're going to get back to their historic rivalry a little later because whilst all of this is really good and really positive, it ended rather abruptly for Flair. <laughs> in 1990 yeah. saw flair leave the company in very quick fashion now the news and reports suggest that wcw talent wasn't all that infused with flair's booking because he would most at the time he kind of just booked himself at the top to be world champion as and i wonder what happens when you give your world champion the power to be the booker as well exactly <laughs> As well as another story of his refusal to drop the WCW title to Lex Luger after he had promised to drop it to Sting, who was out injured at the time. But most would agree that dropping the title to Sting was a better decision, as he was considered a far better worker than Luger. To the surprise of absolutely no one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who would replace Flair? Of course, Ole Anderson would replace him as head booker. Oh, too... I feel like we're just going round in circles at this point. Oh boy, it only gets worse from here. Anderson would uh, at this time try to compete with the WWF with outlandish and over-the-top storylines too. Oh Very no. Very so success. So, so... Is Ole Anderson the reason we had Robocop? Yep. Good lord. <laughs> He was also the reason for the Black Scorpion. He was also the reason for the Chamber of Horrors. And a whole multitude of weird booking decisions. <laughs> uh, Anderson was also would also constantly push older talent above the younger ones. Especially to those who were really loyal to him in his Georgia days. Man... <laughs> You ever feel like a problem just starts repeating itself? (laughs) Oh, I don't know how. Um, We'll get to that in part two. Oh, gosh, yes. So, 91, building on this momentum, they had some success. They're drawing people in. They're selling out arenas. WCW were becoming more and more autonomous and eventually would see them split from the NWA to become solely world championship wrestling 91 also saw jim hurd former head of st louis station at kplr tv and regional manager of pizza hut as the president of wcw (laughs) you ever stop and think that maybe ceos are bullshit (laughs) see like here's the here's the thing like here's the thing right pizza hut man 
if they were doing it in the sense of like, okay, you're gonna like lead the business side of this, I'd be like fine. Mm. But they sold this as like him being like the head person in charge of WCW and he owns Pizza Hut. Yeah. Ridiculous. All I'll say is this the only person to jump from Pizza Hut to another company and be successful is Reggie Fisa May. <laughs> to go from Pizza Hut to Nintendo. He did it better. And he's the only one who's done it properly. <laughs> Alrighty, I'm, I'm I'm preparing myself for this one because you'll you 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 you'll love to hear all of this. But it's well known what Hurd was like. So, the inexperience of Jim Hurd, along with Anderson, showed with some really silly booking and creative decisions at the time. Now, ninety one also saw Flair return to the company after being begged by Ole Anderson to portray the Black Scorpion character. But this was the start of Hurd and Flair butting heads. Yep. So some of the ideas Jim Hurd had in mind, and that he bounced off of people, were a tag team called the Ding Dongs, whose sole gimmick was they loved bells. Big Josh. Perfect. A lumberjack who came to the ring with dancing bears. <laughs> I see no issue. And the Desperados, a stable of bumbling comedic cowboys. <laughs> now, obviously, these were met, these were met with utter confusion and disdain from the talent backstage. <laughs> I don't know that Bell's one. <laughs> if you could, if you could get, if you could call up um, Richard Branson and get Tubular Bells playing, you could, you could, you could, you could work this out. <laughs> <laughs> or get Jimmy Hart to make a like a like a bastardized non non legal version of Tubular Bells. Yeah, you know what like, I mean. Because the thing is, I'm laughing at it, and I'm like, but to be fair though, um, Bailey's catchphrase right now is "Ding Dong Hello." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. My right. next tag team is the Ding Dong. I no. mean, I mean, <laughs> hell, just just Bailey, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> So one story from all of this is that Stan Hansen was so upset with being asked to join the Desperados, he quit on the spot. That which, sounds exactly like what Stan Hansen would do. I would say he was lucky that Jim Hurd didn't get his head lariated off his shoulders. Yeah, I was going to say, oh yeah, if you go to Stan Hansen and be like, hey, by the way, want to make, make you make yourself look like an idiot cowboy when his gimmick is cowboy who will take your head off of his arm? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to work well. <laughs> no, it was never going to work out well. How did they think that was going to work out? <laughs> But, uh, oh, lordy, the biggest and most infamous, infamous story is yet to come. And, of course, it's all about Ric Flair, Roman Gladiator. Oh, <laughs> Again, goodness. Every time I hear this story, I assume it's <laughs> fake. It's so Because stupid. it sounds so stupid and makes no sense and... Sounds like a fever dream. Okay, so to be honest, to be honest, it's the kind of non-making sense that has to be true. It really does. So the backstory from from what has been told is that Jim Hurd and Ole Anderson wanted Flair 
absolutely away from the main event. They never wanted him to be champion. They don't want him in the main event. They want to keep him as far down the card as humanly possible. So, as a way to overhaul his nature boy gimmick, they wanted him to shave his head, wear a diamond earring, walk to the ring in a centurion's outfit, and call himself Spartacus. Little on the nose with that one. <laughs> Little on the nose. Now, I once made a video uh, for What Culture talking about this, and I made the point when they, when uh, Adam Blompier said Spartacus to bring up a picture of Kurt Douglas and say saying, "No, I am Spartacus." Yep, <laughs> as you should. As one should. <laughs> this. So yeah, Flair was pissed. I don't know how you can get garner it from that, but no, Flair was really pissed at this. I think the thing with me, I think the thing for me that really gets it for me, I can't remember who said it, but it was like someone said it was like, we come on, we need to get with the times. And I'm like, that's definitely not getting with the times, though. <laughs> it really isn't. Could you imagine uh, Reardon, Ric Flair, Roman Centurion? You know, um, it's okay, weird right. because I actually can, but you know what would be even better? Oh, God. And I think would have been more appropriate. <laughs> Not Ric Flair, the Roman centurion. Ric Flair, the Roman emperor. <laughs> you just want to see Ric Flair in a toga, don't you? Listen, listen. I Listen, all I want is for Ric Flair to perform the entirety of I, Claudius. <laughs> That I think could work out. Oh, that like, is a mental image that I that I cannot unsee, and I want to see that. Like, can you imagine him? Imagine him being like Augustus, going, "Has anyone in Has anyone in WCW not slept with my daughter?" Woo! <laughs> Sorry, old that, baby, where are you? That's, that's incredibly cursed. Also, just after looking up now, um, yeah, fun fact: the movie Spartacus was released in 1960. Yes, it was. Game with the times. <laughs> My God. And we're in 1990, what, 1991 by this point? Yep. <laughs> yep. 30 years old. 30 years old. So, uh, yeah, this all hit a breaking point when Heard tried to negotiate a pay cut to Flair's contract. Uh, this uh, led to Flair being let go and, of course, joining the WWF, taking the newly made WCW title with him as Flair made the down payment on that title with his own money and therefore had ownership of the WCW championship. You know, it's almost like that's something that you should, you know, consider when you're going through this point and you're in the middle of a contract discussion with someone. <laughs> yeah, know that, you know, he, he can take that WCW title with him and show it to his competition when he debuts there. Oh shit, no, he actually did. <laughs> no, it's a if anyone's seen that um episode, I believe it was of Primetime Wrestling where Bobby Heenan with the WCW championship or the real world championship uh in his hand introduced Ric Flair to everyone. That is a that is a really iconic sight to see. Like Flair, the biggest star of the NWA in WWF holding their title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my goodness. Uh it's safe to say Jim Hurd was later fired from WCW in nineteen ninety two. 
I don't know what would inspire that decision. Just inexplicable is the like, word. Genuinely, I I can't find a single thing wrong with anything that he did. <laughs> no, not at all. He was eventually replaced, of course, by Cowboy Bill Watts. Now, oh joy of joys! Oh joy of joys! Before we get into that, I want to go on an off tangent and talk about one of the best early rivalries for WCW, which was, of course, Ric Flair and Sting. A very unique kind of rivalry in that, of course, that Flair at the time was Booker and he really wanted to push this guy who was getting over massively with the fans. Like, when you think of Surface Sting, you think of the guy running through, like, the entranceway with the crowd going nuts, with the bleach blonde hair, the neon tights. It's just an iconic sight and that really helped propel WCW to have, like, its own kind of you know, unique look to it was that you had these two larger than life guys doing proper wrestling and having these amazing matches. You know, what's kind of crazy how surface sting as soon as like surface sting is replaced by scorpion sting surface sting just goes away yeah. forever. You just, you, I like, He's been in the game for so long. I'd assume it would have gotten a revival at least once, but no. <laughs> I mean, no. I guess you could say with with his TNA run, especially in 2007 when he fought for the NWA Championship, he incorporated both in like a like an amalgam. Cause yeah, he it, was, like, it was a weird decision, though. <laughs> It was a really weird decision, but a really iconic look for Sting with the white face paint, the red with the red trim, and he had yeah. those r- black and red tights uh, with no kind of like vest on. Like I mean, Sting at that time in Bound for Glory, that that event especially, he was shredded as all heck for a guy in his um, like early fifties. Yeah, <laughs> um, ridiculous. But no, I think it's it is one that stands the test of time, and I think it's one that is that really kind of um, is part of WCW's legacy. When you go through history, the one constant we always had was Ric Flair and Sting. Even during their rivalry, where you'd have Sting join the Four Horsemen, only to kind of be betrayed by Flair, the constant you know flip flopping of title wins between the two of them. I don't know, going well, yeah, back and I, watching it, it, I'm still so engaged by that rivalry. Because that, that, gave, that gave rise to, like, I can't remember the exact phrase, it was like, uh, getting the sting treatment. <laughs> or like, you yeah. know, where the, where the baby face is an idiot and doesn't realise the obvious yeah. betrayal that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of, again, as because it's called Sting, uh... It's just, it's, it was paramount to his career that he was a bit of a dum-dum. He, no, he's a professional himbo. He's, he was the one that supersedes <laughs> Kota Ibushi. Yeah. <laughs> professional himbo, my God. <laughs> when you think about it. No, you're right. That's why thing, I'm kind the, of thing, like... the thing is, though, right, is I know like with Sting, it exists purely within the con- confines of wrestling, but Kota Ibushi is supposedly actually just like that. That's true. <laughs> it's just no, it, it's no surprise, really, given the you know what Kota Ibushi did. During People the used to have Classic. to help. Like, used to have to put partner him with someone. So he didn't get lost in airports. <laughs> oh, you. We love you, Kota. We really. I do. love Kota Ibushi so much. <laughs> Alrighty. With all that being said, um, let us get back 
to, well, let's get back on track and even more bad stuff. Before he gets up. All right, let's talk about Eric Bischoff. Now, during his tenure, Bill Watts made some really weird decisions that took wrestling kind of back to a more old school feel, which really didn't make up the numbers and ratings and subsequently handicapped a lot of wrestlers. So what Bill Watts decided to do is that he banned top rope moves and banned like jumping off of the ropes and doing some high flying offense. Um, he also wanted to kind of strip down set designs and lighting to a much more old school feel where it was just like one spotlight on the ring and a smoky arena. Again, didn't do really much for WCW at this time in terms of the ratings. It just makes me laugh because they put all that effort into getting like a young Brian Pillman and the Steiner brothers. Yep. And, then, and like yeah. that was like half of their stuff. <laughs> After and you handicap them in the worst way possible. Again, sticking with the times, isn't it? <laughs> um, so after a lot of clashes with upper management and well, some pretty serious accusations of anti-Semitism, uh, Watts was fired in 1993 and was replaced by Eric Bischoff. Now at the time, Eric, Eric wasn't Biscoff. Biscoff. <laughs> I like that. I like that, Dad. Thank you for that. <laughs> now, Bischoff wasn't an established name in wrestling. He had cut his teeth in the NWA as an announcer and colour commentator and was originally brought into WCW as the second commentator to Jim Ross after the AWA had folded. Quickly, though, he was impressing the execs at WCW with his, you know, his drive and ambition, and he had a lot of business savvy. In the company. I mean, so much so, he was promoted to executive vice president of WCW. Now, this fun fact was the uh, was the uh, moment where Jim Ross uh, decided to leave WCW to go to the WWF because, in his eyes, he didn't want to sit. He didn't want to work for someone who just a couple of weeks earlier was beneath him, in terms of the company standing. So thus. That's what made Ross or JR jump to WWF in 93 at WrestleMania 9 in a toga. And the rest is history. <laughs> it's a weird one, that is, about... Yeah, that's weird. I don't know that I'd expect that from JR. I, I, I don't know. I guess, maybe... Maybe, I, guess, I guess maybe in the sense of, like, he thought it was weird that someone who was on commentary all of a sudden got promoted to EVP. I, I, that's the only thing I could imagine with that. Because it would be a very weird kind of thing to know. Oh. Gosh, now that I'm work, now the guy who's making me, you know, giving me the scripts and all that, the guy who's running the show is the guy who I was just commentating with a week ago. Like that does seem suspicious in a way. <laughs> so, Bischoff's first year wasn't well. It wasn't as good as it could have been. Actually, it was quite unsuccessful. Only because um, Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson were at this time were still at full creative control. And they were still doing very cartoonish storylines. I mean, with with the combination of Rhodes and Anderson, these guys were the ones that came up with the White Castle of Fear, the, the Beach Blast mini-movies that they made, the, 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 the spin-the-wheel-make-a-deal angle. 
uh, involving Sting, and of course the most infamous one, which was the Lost in Cleveland storyline, which we lightly touched upon in our Mick Foley retrospective, where he was knocked on the head uh, by Vader in that match uh, when oh, he power bombed him in the yeah. concrete, and uh, Cactus Jack uh, suffered from amnesia and thought he was a sailboat captain. Which I swear to God was a was a was a Simpsons like episode. I swear <laughs> it was. That's it was Krusty the Clown became a sea captain. Oh, that's right. Although he wasn't, um, he wasn't, he wasn't um, amnesiac. He just wanted to run away. Yeah. What the? F- what? <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Uh, according to Foley in his book, Have a Nice Day, he wanted the storyline originally to be really serious and generate genuine sympathy for him before he's like in ring return. But Ole Anderson and Rhodes wanted them to be more comedic instead. Uh, Foley goes on to quote that uh, the this segments were so bad uh, that they were the... Um... <laughs> They were so bad that WCW deluded themselves into thinking they were going to be a surefire money-making feud. Good lord. (laughs) So, with Bischoff in control, he would end up in 93 beginning uh, the Disney tapings, which of course would see WCW begin tapings at the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. This would be uh, able for them to uh, take their syndicated programming, like uh, WCW Pro Wrestling and WCW Saturday Night. So this kind of confused a lot of things when they started doing this syndication, as that they would uh, would confuse wrestlers into where they were in the storyline. So one week they would have a title, the next week they would not have the title, but then the next week after that they would be miraculously back with the titles. (laughs) This confused a lot of WCW storylines. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's. I mean, it didn't matter because at this time, when they were filming at Disney and MGM, when they would bring audience members in, they weren't paying customers. They were in fact tourists of Disney and the MGM studios that were kind of funneled in to watch this kind of little showcase of wrestling. And <laughs> this is how bad it was, right? The tourists were being told when to cheer and when to boo and applaud the wrestlers. Oh, dear. So it literally was like Disney World, basically, at this time. It's so confusing, though, because, like, obviously pre-taping wrestling shows is something that's easily possible. But, like, the thing is, you have to, you can't let stuff get out. Yeah. It's so... And also, like, having people there who aren't wrestling fans and you're having to tell them... I mean, obviously, for honestly, for a wrestling company, that's, like, perfect to have a, an audience that you have to tell when to cheer and when to boo. <laughs> but, like... It just made... I feel like it would just make everything seem off. Mm. So strange. A fun story about this time. Uh, was a story in the tag team division where uh, it had been revealed in a taping 
that Arn Anderson and Paul Roma were to be the WCW tag champions and were going to defeat the Hollywood Blondes, of course, stunning Steve Austin and flying Brian Pillman. Now, they decided to swerve the fans at the uh, at the next pay-per-view and keep the titles on the Blondes, but the pay-per-view after that, Clash of the Champions, that was to take place in August before they had already shot the footage... Oh no, sorry, before um, the footage that he had already shot of Anderson and Roma being the tag champions. That was supposed to be broadcast in August in the lead up to Clash of the Champions. They had filmed weeks worth of footage of Anderson and Roma as tag champions. But then at the pay-per-view just decided, no, you know what? We're going to keep it on the Hollywood Blondes. (laughs) Wow. Yep, yep. The more things change, and the, you're not that is no, that's not even the, the worst part. The worst part was before Clash, before they could even get to that event, Pillman was injured and unable to wrestle. Hence, Steve Austin had to team up with Stephen Regal. <laughs> Again, this is the problem with pre-taping, and, this... and then also deciding to swerve on a pre-tape. I guess yeah. what? This was, the, uh, this was the moment that WCW decided to inexplicably split up the Hollywood Blondes, which were hugely popular as, heel ta- as a heel tag team at the time. Man, I wonder why. <laughs> you know, it's stuff like this. I keep thinking that, like, the problems with WCW on a writing perspective was something that, like, came up after a certain point, right? <laughs> but it's stories like this that go, no, it just always was like this from the <laughs> ground <laughs> level, from, like, foundational, which I think is kind of fascinating. It's really weird. It's just... like so... you, Yeah, like, you know, like, you think that it's, like, this is what happened and these were the problems. No, this was kind of like WCW's like original sin. <laughs> the thing is, right, is that they are, I think the thing that WCW had was there was always good, but there was always bad running in a cycle underneath. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. And it always seems like no matter how much good they would do, it was always the bad at the bottom that would always show through and be the one that was kind of on show all the time. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because if one just bad, yeah. one bad thing and suddenly the whole product's just gone to, the, gone to the wolves. Anyway, I'm glad that I brought up Clash of the Champions because this Clash of the Champions... Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. This Clash of the Champions. WCW... Uh, <laughs> was about to uh to 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 give birth to quite possibly its most infamous moment so 1993 saw the return of rick flair after his wwf tenure and he left on good terms uh, as a matter of fact with the wwf and he was told that he could come back at any time if he so choose great um so he decided to return to wcw but unfortunately he was constrained by a no complete clause in response to this, WCW gave him his own talk show segment in the vein of Piper's Pit known as Flair for the Gold. You know Dan knows where I'm going for this. <laughs> this I know exactly one. where this is going. <laughs> so during Clash of the Champions 24, during a segment of Flair for the Gold, WCW decided to introduce a mystery partner for the babyface team of <laughs> Sting and the British Bulldog. 
the masked man known as the Shockmaster. <laughs> what I love about this is it's such an innocuous moment, but it's actually, in a weird way, not pivotal, but it is a significant mark in WCW's history. <laughs> it really is. We've talked about a little bit about this in the past, like the, oh, yeah, the ridiculousness of how it all kind of falls apart as soon as Shockmaster or Fred Hartman falls through the wall. Um, the one thing that always makes me laugh that you brought up, Dad, was that Flair suddenly disappears and is replaced by a cow that cuts out of Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> It's it it it's it's a thing. Like I just remember watching it one time, and I was like, "Man, Ric Flair's standing really still. That's weird." And then I was like, "That's definitely a cardboard cutout." <laughs> what I love again, uh, one of my favorite moments is that you can hear British Bulldog going, "He fell on his ass. <laughs> he fell flat on his ass." It's that, and also the fact that Sid is trying his hardest to keep it alive. He's trying so hard, blessing. Of course, we all know that the Shockmaster was voiced by Ole Anderson. It's so Everything about this is so good. Why did they think a guy with a bedazzled Stormtrooper <laughs> helmet... I like, have... And a fur vest. The dude looks like Shrek with, <laughs> yeah. with a bedazzled stormtrooper okay, helmet. Okay, okay. Can we talk about that stormtrooper helmet? Yeah. Where did they get that helmet? Because this isn't like modern day where you could just you could buy any like stormtrooper helmet. Again, at, like that's another question to be answered. <laughs> a, how did they get it? And B, why? Yeah, like. <laughs> How do you get that? How do you, because, and how do you bedazzle something like, I have so many questions and none of them have been answered. I my, I would imagine like half an hour before the Flare for the Gold segment, they had like the, uh, the rigging crew who have all the paint as well as the set designers just spray painting the shit out of it and then just throwing PVA glue and glitter at the damn thing. Because if you can see... You see some of the paint and glitter after uh, Otman's fallen, fallen, kind of smudge on his chest and arms. Yeah. I mean, my, again, there's the whole thing that apparently Dusty Rhodes said that there was like there was just a two by four at the bottom of the wall, which made him fall over, and they like did a successful rehearsal. But I'm just why like, was there a two by four there in the? Yeah, first that's why I'm like, why the why was there a two by four there? <laughs> Maybe for more sturdiness, but if there was a successful rehearsal, which is claimed that they had for that moment, why did why you need to then reinforce it? it if it was successful in the first place? Yeah, I don't. Oh my god. <laughs> also, the tripping thing, I can't say that, I can't guarantee that that's 100% true because it looks like Otman really puts a lot of effort into it because it looks like he just pushes himself, but he looks like he put too much, like, momentum on it and that's probably what caused him to fall because <laughs> if like you have like a destructible wall like that logic would dictate maybe you should go through legs first that way you don't trip up god he knows i don't know <laughs> i mean we're discussing about the finer details of the shock master <laughs> yeah because it's just so many things have to go wrong for that moment and you just have to go through a play-by-play -play to really get it 
<laughs> so this didn't work, and within that, they decided, all right, screw it, we've got Flair back, let's just base the promotion around him again, because we've got nothing else. I mean, this was like, you could say that that is a necessity after what the, the, the couple of years Flair's been away, the awful booking decisions, and now they've got Bischoff there in creative, but they still have Rhodes and Anderson doing the creative. Yeah. Yeah. Get Flair at the top as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> uh, but this actually was a necessity not because they needed the ratings, but also because of an incident involving the top babyface Sid and Arn Anderson. Of course, if no one has heard this incident, I'll quickly go over it. So on a tour in England, eight weeks before Starcade, uh, Sid Vicious uh, <laughs> Sid Vicious and Arn Anderson got into it, and subsequently uh, Anderson stabbed Sid with, an, with a pair of scissors. Several times, may I add. No. I don't uh, even know what to say to that. So, yeah, Anderson was subsequently fired from the company. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> this, they had to scramble quickly for this Starcade. So he was placed in the main event against Vader for the championship uh, with his career on the line. And, of course, Flair won uh, at Starcade and was once again made head booker of the company. That wasn't, of course, a, an, on-screen, uh, an on-screen stipulation, but... <laughs> But uh, no, this didn't suffer. Uh, uh, this time, at the end of '93, they were losing money. Like at a time, they lost twenty-three million dollars at this time in '93. Wow. Which made all right at this time with Flair being the booker and Bischoff still being the pre- uh, the president. Bischoff now says, "All right, no, we've got to be serious, and we're going to do this." And the first thing I'm going to say, we're declaring war. We're declaring war. I should say, sorry on the WWF. And so this was the push that he made, the aggressive push he made to recruit former high-profile WWF wrestlers. 94, of course, saw the big acquisitions of Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan. Now, of course, we all know the story of Hogan really didn't want to wrestle after he left in 93. He was off trying to pursue a film career. But because his filming was happening in MGM Disney in those studios, Bischoff was able to wrangle his way to have a meeting with Hogan. Um, you know, try and convince him to get back into wrestling, to work on a lighter schedule. You get a little bit more money here and there. You know, it might work out for you. Uh, uh, the offer's on the table, Hogan. And of course, Hogan, mm-hmm. seeing that, um, was it Thunder in Paradise, I believe he was filming at this time, uh, was not going to be the racing success likely. he was going to. It was going I, to be. Yeah, I legitimately thought that you were going to go. And he left because he realised that his movies were bad. <laughs> of course they were bad. <laughs> but being able to have Turner's monetary resources. He was able to do that and place, you know, buy more high-profile former stars or established stars with proven track records. But due to their high profiles, Hogan and Savage were able to demand concessions, such as multi-year, yeah. multi-million-dollar contracts and full creative control over their characters. Of course, that this can't go wrong in any that way, shape, or form. I was going to say, yes, like yes, never someone... learned anything. I wonder how that turned out. We'll stick. We'll see how that turns out in part two of WCW. <laughs> 
Uh, Hogan, in particular, was able to gain a considerable influence and friendship with Bischoff at this time. <laughs> I wonder how he was able to do that. No. Uh, <laughs> this also, because of this friendship he was building with Bischoff, he was able to gain a hefty fee to appear at pay-per-views, as well as a, a gross, a quite a sizable percentage of the gross revenue from the pay-per-views in future years. It's crazy, isn't it? It's actually oh. crazy. But anyway, I'm getting off of track here with Hogan. We'll get more into Hogan's uh, shenanigans yeah. in, 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 in the next episode. But Hogan's, of course, first appearance was at Bash of the Beach. And of course, finally, we'd get the dream match everyone wanted to see when Flair entered the WWF. We got Flair versus Hogan for the World Championship. Of course Hogan was going over on this one in his first appearance at WCW. It wasn't going to be anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but thing is though, that event drew a high buy rate by WCW standards. Oh, yeah. The, oh yeah. I mean, because this is the first time with Hogan there that they were getting some mainstream eyes on their product. Hogan, ver Hogan versus Flair. Yeah, that's a match. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, also at this time, we would see uh, Savage debut in WCW, teaming up with Hogan every so often, beefing up the main event scene. Of course, with all of this being said with more established stars, uh, more kind of their younger talent was seeing more pushed down the card. Um, most famously, of course, was one mm. stunning Steve Austin, who was quite an adept hand in WCW. He was a former US yeah. champion, had a great rivalry with Ricky Steamboat. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. A fantastic little rivalry in the old days of WCW. Yes, stunning Steve Austin, subsequently fired via FedEx by Eric Bischoff. Mm. That decision didn't come to bite him back in the bum, did it? No, what else did happen to that so. guy? I don't, know what, yeah, I don't e know what happened to him. He went to ECW, I think, and had like a little rivalry with Mikey Rip uh, Whip Wreck, sorry, and then decided mm. to have a couple okay, of promos taking the mick out of Hogan and Bischoff. Don't know what happened to him. Uh, I know, I do remember All after right. he left. I might have to follow up on that. I'll have a little yeah. investigation. I heard yeah. that he may have become the ringmaster in WWF. I, I can't say so i'll have a look i'll have i'm probably gonna be watching yeah. like you know saturday's main event or something awesome awesome it'll pop up <laughs> yeah so this leads us to our ending our little conclusion here in 1995 in mid-95 ted turner asks eric bischoff how wcw could conceivably compete with mcmahon's wwf now eric really not expecting anything like for Turner to kind of go with it or for him to even comply with what Bischoff was about to say. He said that the only way he could compete with Vince was to put WCW on a primetime slot on a weekday night, maybe possibly up against Monday Night Raw. Ted Turner goes, yeah, sure, why not? I'll do I'll do that for you. <laughs> so to which Eric Bischoff was like, oh, excuse me, what? <laughs> So he granted him a one li a live one hour show on TNT every Monday night, and thus we get to WCW Monday Nitro. No, 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 Nitro. Nitro. Which bet? Which I'm gonna say at this time 
had the much more hyper intro music oh, than yeah. Raw did at the time. I mean, I feel mm. still think that opening segment of Nitro with being in the darkened city with the flames going off and the kind of like the projections of all the wrestlers with that awesome guitar riff just yeah. Mwah, mwah. So to end this one, we are going to talk about the very first Monday Nitro from uh, sorry, yes, from the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota, in September '95. WCW Nitro made its debut on TNT. It's a really interesting visual having a wrestling show taking place in a shopping mall. Yeah, but. In all honesty, if this was Bischoff's idea, it worked because it is an interesting visual and one heck of a way to start a brand new Monday live wrestling show. I mean, you have to remember, though, at this point as well, the Mall of America was seen as important and not just an attraction. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So being commentated here by Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, and Steve Mungo McMichael. It's Mungo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. You know what? Say what you I will. Love Mongo. Say what you will. I love Mongo as well, and I wish him I Mongo wish him McMichael all the best. Mungo McMichael is amazing. I do wish him all the best. And um, I'm happy that there are people keeping his legacy alive. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hashtag and at Mongo and friends for that. <laughs> a yes. terrific Twitter page. Okay, so I'm going to go down the card because there's only three matches in this card. Oh well, that's alright then. So yeah. we had a we had a non-title uh, tag team match to open up, which was a dark match with the American Males defeating the Stud Stable. <laughs> okay. So of course the American Males were Marcus Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, who had, of course, the greatest Phoebe song of all time. Wasn't American Males. Song... American Males. Yeah, I was gonna say it was just the one that said the name over and over and over again. And the stud stable of Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater were, of course, managed by Colonel Robert Parker. Fun fact: the stud stable are still going to this day, with Robert Parker showing up at MLW and forming his uh, forming a very brand new incarnation of the stable. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. The stud stable has been going since the late eighties, right? <laughs> what? Yep. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? That's I never knew this. Madness. That's madness. I mean, good on you guys. Hope everything. Really, is well. I haven't been paying enough attention to MLW. Of course, yeah, apparently. Of course, as everyone knows, Colonel Ro- Colonel Robert Parker, very famous for um for for pooping his pants in the middle of the room. <laughs> no, not in storyline. He literally pooped his pants oh, in the middle no. of the ring during a war games match. Oof. <laughs> so enough of that out of the way we get to of course our opening match and considered quite possibly one of the best debut matches for a wrestling company flying brian pillman versus jushin thunder liger enough now, two people you could have to be on an opening match to get people's attention liger and pillman are pretty much up there you know yeah. what it's a shame that the forbidden door was wasn't open during AEW's debut because who would have loved to have seen the poeticness of having AEW's debut match being Brian Pillman Jr versus Jushin Liger I mean that'd be pretty damn great that would they missed something there like so much I would have been like Tony Khan I would have been like throwing all of the money at Liger to come <laughs> over <laughs> 
But no, this match is great. Like, these two... Damn, did these two work so well together. Like, Liger oh, really yeah. can adapt and a- adapt to Brian's style, the American style of high-flying wrestling, so well. <laughs> I just imagine that... Um... That Liger is like, um, so for any people here who play guitar with some metal, you, you know John Petrucci. Mm. And like, there's a video of John Petrucci just like watching someone else play something. And it's like he's like downloading it and then he can just do it. I just assumed Liger's like that. He just sees someone wrestling and just like, just by visual, he's just like, okay, I know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Liger is definitely just Taskmaster. Yes, he really is. <laughs> no, uh, a fantastic short little match. Great way to kick off this event. We get up to the next one, which really is funny in that this really kind of, for me, should have been the main event. But, of course, with Hogan being there as world champion, I can understand why he was in the main event. But I digress. The United States Heavyweight Championship is on the line as Sting goes up against Ric Flair. Uh, a very, again, another short match. No, It was a no contest. Not a bad match. Not the greatest match Sting and Flair have had, but... Again, to open up Nitro, it's not a bad match at all to start uh, to, to uh-huh. have. And of course, we get to the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. Hulk Hogan going up against the former big boss man, Big Bubba Rogers. Yeah, did you think, did well, you think Hogan, Hogan... man. I was going to say, do you think Hogan, Hogan was very notorious for having his friends be at the top of the card? Because, I mean, come on, let's not forget the, the main event of Starcade 94 was him yeah. versus his best mate, the fuck Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yep. <laughs> but actually, I would say most people don't even remember this match. The one visual everyone solely remembers is Lex Luger returning... After being after being in the WWF since 1993, the the visual of Luger at the entrance way with his hands on his hips looking at Hogan uh, is a visual I think uh, uh, that has st- stood the test of time. Yeah, it, it has a, a great. I mean, what a great way to start! Like, I mean, that's the way you got to hook someone in for a brand new like promotion or a brand new show is is make surprise them surprise the heck out of them i mean it's like AEW did with John Moxley in their first event uh great visual fun fact luger was low w- w- received a low ball offer from eric bischoff cuz he uh, bischoff really didn't want him to return <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> and thus we end part 1 on the history of wcw we're going to get into the big stuff come part two. We're going to be talking about the Monday Night Wars. We're going to be talking, of course, about that renegade group of outsiders all the way eventually getting to David Arquette as world champion. <laughs> so, go. gents, how do you feel uh, as we're halfway through the story of WCW? You know, like I've one thing I will say very well done, Sam, for compressing a hell of a lot of information into <laughs> in a pretty well bite size. But to be quite honest with you, I feel nothing but dread because I know what's coming. <laughs> I don't and blame I, you. Yeah. And I, I do I think the thing okay. is is that I as much as like I look, you know, because people love to do the whole thing where they're like, oh, well, it was all, you know, it it was all Russo, it was all whoever. 
Mm. But like it's just like but it's just like you just get this idea that j- literally just from inception like there was just a fundamental always something wrong. <laughs> and yeah. that's the, I think that's the greatest shame of WCW because we all oh, yeah. know every wrestling fan knows that company was freaking good when it got it right. It did it tremendously well. Yeah. But it's just everything that ha- that came with that it just it kind of like the wheels constantly fell off of that card yeah it's just a found it's like it's fascinating listening to it it's a foundational issue yeah and i think that's something that like you go going through the history of it really kind of puts paid like no 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 no. it always had this problem it yeah. just got much worse and impossible to ignore as time went on which we will get to indeed so i definitely with the next episode i know i didn't lightly touch upon many wrestlers but i feel with the next episode i'm going to definitely um spotlight a lot more wrestlers so don't worry about i'm definitely going to be bringing up ddp booker t goldberg i'm definitely going to give these guys the spotlight that they absolutely deserve and as well as the cruiserweight division as well even though we already have a whole episode on the Cruiserweight division. In yeah, but they still need love. They I mean, still I'll... absolutely need love. So, yeah, don't worry. My apologies if you wanted a lot more kind of character profiles of people at the time. But those will be coming in the next episode. Mostly because I feel more confident to be able to profile people around that time. Because I, you know, was watching WCW at that time. As opposed to the early days of, of World Championship Wrestling. So I thought I'd play it safe for this episode. Four hours long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm on a time schedule. <laughs> exactly. Alrighty then, chaps. I'm excited for the next episode. I don't know about you. Oh, I'm very, I'm very excited. It's going to be really fascinating. Alrighty then. So, until the next episode, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag podcast. We will see you as ever on the next one. Hey, guys. Here's to many more years. Thank you so much for listening if you if you are. Oh, God!